Welcome everybody to Now's the Time. This is episode two, part one. Today we're going to be talking about addictions. And let me explain um, my own addiction. When I uh, went to work for W Ministries in 1982, I would go in at 8 o'clock in the morning and we would sell, had to be back at the office by 5, and I would go back out and stay out to 8, 9 o'clock at night. Pretty soon we talked Chauncey Edwards into letting us work on Sundays, so we would lead the bulletin nationwide. While I did take, come in number one, 32 times nationally out of 6,000 salespeople over the next two years, I never took off. I was consumed with the opportunity that show what you can do, prove what you can do, and Larry would send me fifty dollars to $100,000 worth of pots and pans on a handshake, and I would consign them out to other people. So a lot of people work in the country for W Ministries. And as I became an owner in Cleveland and set records in Cleveland, I interviewed 100 people every day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and still went out and sewed because Larry had told me what to do. Later, when I left the company and started my own jewelry business in 1992, I was driven to do whatever it took to be successful. After so many years of working seven days a week, doing 40, 35 weeks a year on the road, Ronaldo's Iron Jewelry, became pretty famous. My stories caused the clients to collect my products. We competed against Pandora in every store we were in. We beat Pandora. Soon after a couple of years, everywhere I went, there would be 50 people, 75, then 100, then 200 people all wanting to take pictures with me, all wanting to get my autograph, all wanting to buy something. Day after day after day, the illusion of success and fame filled everything that I needed. It gave me all the certainty I knew in life. It gave me all the self-esteem that I knew that I wanted in my life. It gave me all the respect I wanted. That world gave me everything. And the price I paid was I neglected my kids. I neglected my wife. Uh, Kristen, when she was a junior, was like, Dad, I'm playing basketball. Uh, we've got a million, multi-million dollar home. The business is doing you know, X millions a year. You make a lot of money. I was making over a million and a half a year. You don't need any more money. We don't need any more money. I need my dad. I need for you to come and watch me play basketball or come to my swim meets. You're always gone. And the excuse would be, Kristen, I've got a chance to be at the Academy Awards putting my jewelry into the gift bags next year. And then the next year, Tammy will be playing in the tennis tournament. Uh, she's playing in the tennis, tennis tournament in the state finals in Kentucky. And I'd never seen my daughter play tennis. So she's like, what's wrong with you? All you do is work. I said, I need to work to take care of you guys, was my excuse. But anything that came up against work, 
was challenging me to do something less. And I was addicted to the fans cheering for me, the fans wanting my autograph, the fans wanting pictures made, the fans bringing me cakes, bringing me cards, wearing hats because I wore fedora all the time. A hundred people would show up wearing fedoras. College kids would find out where I was staying and there would be 50 of them in the lobby, you know, calling my name out, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, come on. We want to take some pictures with you and I'd have to tell the people at the front desk, I have to move. You can't tell people where I'm at. I couldn't even stop in some places in Mississippi or Alabama and get gas. And I always said, you know, fame is fleeting. It was media-made. It was driven by the casinos. The casinos put me out. Sam's Casino put me out everywhere. And it all came to a, a boiling point. One year I was gone many weeks. I finally get home the day before Christmas. Tammy's in town with my grandkids. I've been gone for weeks on end. And Christmas morning, they're over to my house. Everybody's there to open gifts. And I'm in my office in my home calling customers on Christmas. My daughter comes in and said, Jesus, Dad, your grandkids are down from Michigan and you're in here calling people on Christmas. What's wrong with you? Now, being addicted ended up costing me my family, costing me a divorce, because I did not want to own up to what the addiction was. It supplied me with everything I needed emotionally and being a workaholic is no different than an alcoholic. Let me take a break here and get a, a drink of water and we'll get right back. Now, on the next part, we want to talk about when do you finally realize that you have a problem? When you finally realize that your wife is saying, hey, you're an alcoholic. Oh, I don't have a problem. Or your addiction is drugs or your addiction is work. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. Understanding the addiction and the worst addiction that we never recognize is what caused us emotionally to withdraw into a world of addiction. And that's what nobody ever talks about. Nobody sits out to be estranged from their kids and their wife. Nobody sits out to say, oh, I, I've been an alcoholic or I'm a gambling addiction. I spent the money on the horses. Nobody starts out like that. So whenever you want to get out of an addiction, you have to take and you have to look in the mirror. When you've lost pretty much everything, you have to say, I'm addicted but I don't have to stay that way. So I, I suggest you take a, a cold, hard look at reality. And my grandmother used to say that the devil lives in the bottom of a whiskey barrel. No different than a workaholic. You have to write down what does that addiction provide for you? But more importantly, what does it cost you? How did I become addicted to work? How did I become addicted to drugs? How did I become addicted to alcohol? I had a cousin who hurt his back. He was a pastor. And they gave him opioids in the hospital for weeks on end. And when he got out of there, he was hooked on opioids. 
And he spent the next three or four years as an addict until he lost everything, lost his wife and home and everything. So it can happen to anybody. But you don't have to stay there. So how do you recover? How do you get out of an addiction? You start by identifying that you have an addiction. The next step is you have to take and do certain things to be able to get rid of that addiction. You have to understand why the need came from, but more importantly, what's the real need behind that that made you susceptible to an addiction? In other words, when you were growing up psychologically, what did you not get that you needed? And a lot of people, it's the self-esteem, or somebody bullied them, or somebody, a parent was hard on them, and as a young child, they felt that they didn't measure up. So later on, instead of wanting mom and dad to approve of them, when it seemed that they could do all they could do and nothing was ever right, nothing was correct, I got all A's and one B, and you're getting fussed at for getting the one B, whatever the case might be, you turn to some friends that said, hey, let's smoke a cigarette and have a couple of beers. And once you hang out with the friends, emotionally, they were your buddies to hang out with, to go do stuff with. And you became more psychologically okay and accepted by people who were drinking. So a lot of the people that I grew up with, everybody had a hard life. And a lot of the kids I grew up with, they all drank. And Paul uh, drank so much that he became an alcoholic at age 17 in less than a year. So we have to take and say, what kind of ammunition do we have? What will take and help this? So what you need to do, I call this a one-minute meditation. When you first wake up, your brain is in alpha. And while your brain is in alpha, when you first get up before you go to the restroom, take and just start out by thinking, why am I so grateful? I'm grateful that I have a home. I'm grateful I have a condo, whatever the case might be. I'm grateful I have food. I'm grateful that I am healthy. I'm grateful that I'm creative. I'm grateful that I have a new Cadillac. I'm grateful that I have a car. I'm grateful that I have my bills paid. I'm grateful that I'm dealing with my addiction work. And when you start listing all the things you're grateful for about your home, go on to all your friends. Hey, I'm grateful that I have friends from high school. I'm grateful that I have a great girlfriend. I'm grateful that I have a lot of best friends. I'm grateful that I have these relationships because I don't work and, and 80 hours a week and gone 40 weeks a year. When you start saying how grateful you are, a magical thing occurs, you have a better day. You are teaching your mind that you're going to be okay. So start every day with a gratitude in your heart and say, hey, God, I'm pretty happy. I don't have to be a workaholic anymore. I'm pretty happy that I have great friends. I'm pretty happy that I learned to listen to my significant other. I'm pretty happy I have Gracie and Lucy. And when you thank God for your blessings, the last thing I say every morning is let me make sure that I make everybody else's day a happy day. So when I go out to McDonald's, it's, hey, uh, Emily, how you doing? Or if I go to Kroger, oh, let me get that door for you. 
see somebody older and they're counting their money up. I'm grateful that I have money where I can just say, hey, you got a veteran shirt on. Oh yeah, I was a World War II vet or Korean War vet. Your groceries are on me today. When you give from your heart and a grateful gratitude heart, God will bless you and your addiction will disappear. Let me have another drink of water and we're going to bring Lucy and Gracie up. So uh, Janice got Gracie. Now Gracie's daddy was a world champion. Come here, Gracie. Come here, Gracie. And they were going to breed her, so when she was born, come here, honey. When she was born, she, uh, yeah, you the baby. She was such good shape that, and yeah, she needs a haircut, that uh, the breeder kept her segregated in a barn by herself. So the first 12 weeks of her life, she didn't have any interaction. She didn't know what grass felt like. The lady fed her every day, and she said, I have to totally break her spirit, for she's addicted to me. That way she'll do the walk, she'll prance around the ring, she'll do the strutting, because she'll be praise-oriented. And psychologically, she hurt the little girl here. And the little girl has to be around daddy all the time. So what was damaged as a baby, as a child, and this dog, is a good example of what happens to all of us. You love your daddy, huh? You want to sit up here with me? Oh, she has to be there. She'll sit there all day long. If I pet her all day long, she'll be sitting there. Oh, you put me down. Can you pet me again? <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's you get, let you go back uh, to mommy though. There, there you go. So you have to realize what did my addiction cost me? It cost me closeness to my wife. It cost me closeness to my kids. They grew up not knowing who I was other than I was the guy that paid for stuff for them to go to Europe or them to have new cars or whatever the case might be. But they didn't have me. And emotionally, I hurt my kids. Emotionally, I'm responsible for putting distance in between me and my wife. Now, you can't be gone for 30 years and expect to stay married. It isn't going to happen. So, you have to look in the mirror as you're doing your meditations every day and say, this addiction cost me my business, cost me my family, cost me everything. I'm not going to go back to being addicted. And when you realize what it cost you, you put it down on a paper, you take that paper and you stick it on the wall in the bathroom. So when you brush your teeth, you're like, no, not going back. No, I'm not going back. I think I can do better. The past of my life is not going to define my future. I will fall in love. I will be successful in a different business. And I will do these things because I know why. Why? You have to find the reason in your life to change. Something you love more than you love yourself. Because when you're addicted, you'll lie to yourself. Oh, no, no, I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for them. Or no, I don't have a problem drinking. Oh, I don't have a problem gambling at the track. You will 
argue, you will fuss, you will take all your anger out, and if you lose money at the track, you'll come home and take it out on your wife so she's mad at you. Well, I work hard, and I, I deserve to... So you try to lie about... You can't lie to yourself, so sometime along the line, you have to just fess up and say, I got a problem. And if I don't get rid of my addiction to work, what am I going to be? I'm going to be on the road for the rest of my life. That's not living. If you're a workaholic, you're working to die. Guess what? It's only pieces of paper. And when you die, you can't take it with you. So, finding your why. I uh, went through the most horrible divorce since Johnny Carson. I had a friend who had one of my attorney's sisters, and I knew her for years and years. I went out to talk about some real estate. She's one of the best realtors in Louisville. And when I went home back to Cleveland, she had paid for dinner. Nobody had bought me dinner in my whole life, but maybe my mom or father. And I'm like, no, 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 because I always bought everything. I bought tickets for the Super Bowl for people. I bought Rolex watches and gave them away. I bought cars. And I was not used to anybody doing that. She said, oh, no, you sent me and my brother to Europe with your, your points a few years ago. So I've known you a long time, Ronnie. It's okay. And I wasn't used to that. So on the way home, I'm like, wow, that's a different feeling. Receiving a gift. I, always, I was always the guy that everybody got gifts from, but I didn't receive them. I didn't know how to, to do that. And so, long story short, I came back a couple of weeks later to talk to her about her birthday. Three days later, when I left Louisville, I sent flowers and said, thank you for the meal. She called me up and said, how did you know it's my birthday? I said, I didn't have a clue. I didn't remember and about 40 days later, I had an argument with God. It's like, I'm afraid to ever care anymore. I, everybody I've ever cared about has used me, stole from me. I mean, it's not my own fault that I had people in the family steal from me and I didn't put them in jail. It's my own fault. But I tried to appease my mother-in-law. I tried to appease my wife. I tried to appease people because I was so addicted to what I did. I could make more money. But I did not rock the boat on things like that because I was always gone. And people, if you show weakness of any type, they'll take advantage of you. Within a few months, I had an argument with God, and I had fell in love with, with Myla. Shortly thereafter, a few months later, I'm talking to her every night from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm sending her flowers. She goes to Greece. I went and jumped out of an airplane to find out if my heart would beat, find out if I was alive. Didn't make me beat. When she came back home and called me, my heart beat like crazy. And I took her to New York. I came down to Louisville and said, I'm going to go show you a miracle. And I took her to New York for a one-day trip, and she thought we were going to go to uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And in New York, we went to eight or nine places at the end of the day. I took her to Bryant Park. And I said, Myla, get out of the car, because soon I have to take you home. Same day we got to New York, 
10 hours later, 11 hours later, they're getting ready to go back on the airplane. And I said, uh, the miracle's in the park. I had a suit on. She was dressed nicely. I went over to a big tree and I said, uh, close your eyes. I promised you to see the world's greatest miracle. And you will. That's what I told her. I said, uh, her eyes are closed. And I said, there's about 8 billion people on the earth and God made your DNA different than anyone else's. You're special. Your heart beats 100,000 times a day without you even thinking about it because you're special. Over 2,000 gallons of blood goes through your veins every day without you thinking about it. Your brain does a billion, billion computations every second. And I told her many more things about her body. And I took a compact out of my pocket. I held it in front of her face, a mirror. And I said, open your eyes to see the world's greatest miracle. And she seen herself and she started crying. And she said, I love you too. And I said, thank you for saving my life. And since I found my why, I was planning for two years, what do I do next? And it was to teach my knowledge to the world. So the biggest way to get out of any addiction is the motivation. What you care about more than you care about your own feelings or your life or yourself, find your why. Once you do that, you'll have your way home. This is the end of part one part two, part three on YouTube, part one for the podcast. And we'll be back for part two of addictions in just a little bit.